Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and it's that time once more to go around the world one more time, have a beer or two along the way. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, So last week, uh, we actually had, oh God, who did we have on last week? I forget who we had on last week, but whoever it was on last week, thanks a lot. (laughs) Uh, I'm having an old man moment. You know, you get close to being 50 and it, it just, it goes out the window. It's 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 been a while, but no, we had Fred Fred, uh, blind brew guy on the show last week, uh, telling us a bit about his adventure, uh, how it's like to be brewing while you're visually impaired. So it's very cool guy. Check out his Instagram, Fred. I remembered who you were. I'm sorry. I was having an old old guy moment. Uh, that's what happens when you get fall on your head one too many times, jumping out of airplanes. So. Uh, Let's move on, shall we? So this week, we're very fortunate. We have a gentleman all the way from Colorado talking to us tonight. We have Ryan Packmeyer. So if you guys are following me on uh, social media, you'll see that I actually put up about Ryan that he's BJCP qualified. He has won awards. He's won awards at the Big Beers competition in Breckenridge, Colorado. And, you know, for what I've been told by Coulter Wilson, all around great guy, and possibly I think also is I think he's his neighbor, if I'm if I remember right. Uh, same same town, not neighbor, but same town. Same town, but also it's the same brew club, right? Yeah, same brew club. We're about five minutes away from each other, so uh, all right, nearly all neighbors. Right. Nearly neighbors. Are you the one who made his own brewing system? The the no, the electrical system. That's his neighbor, Aaron. Probably that's that's it. All right. Okay. Also a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> so Ryan, thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks a lot for having me on. No, no worries. So uh, guys, I'm going to get Ryan to introduce himself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about himself. And then we are going to be dipping into the world of big beers, predominantly the nice, dark, heavy, rich. Okay. I'm drooling now of the, <laughs> of the barrel age stout. So here we go, guys. Ryan, thanks a lot, and it's all yours right now. Sure, Dan. Um, so I moved to Denver about nine years ago from Chicago. Um, I've been brewing about 15 years. I got into brewing with a friend of mine because we both really love stouts, but back then most of the good stouts that we enjoyed were seasonal, and I've never really been a seasonal drinker. I mean, yes, if I'm in a beer garden and it's August and you know I'm sweating profusely, I don't want a barrel aged stout. But if it's July, most of the time I'm drinking inside my house. It's you know it's a good temperature and it doesn't really matter what it's like outside. So I back then I wanted a good big imperial stout, and you just couldn't find them in July in Chicago. Um, so we decided to start brewing beer. Some of our early attempts, I mean, they weren't bad, but we didn't have fermentation control, so we got more sort of the higher alcohol, fruity ester type flavors you get when you're fermenting in the mid seventies instead of the upper sixties. Eventually we got fermentation control. We kept learning and learning and learning and um, things started to really work out well. Uh, We started making good stouts that we enjoyed. Um, I think I got a lot better after I moved out from Colorado. I started brewing more frequently, started brewing with more friends. I've often brew with another person. So I kind of have a network of good friends who all brew really good beer. 
and I'll make a batch with one person, I'll make a, make a batch with another person and it allows me to see different people's strengths and techniques and we can collaborate in different ways. Um, so I got a lot better at brewing when I moved out here. Um, I also do some beer writing. Um, I have an article about clean Kvike yeast coming out in Zymer G. Um, it should be out uh, February 18th, I think the digital version this month. Oh, nice. And then the print version sometime at the end of the month. Uh, when it arrives. So I've got that article. Um, I'm writing a couple other articles. I do reviewing for beers for uh, Beer and Brewing Magazine. Um, so I'm on their tasting panel. So we review beers and the scores and the tasting notes go into each magazine. Um, that's that's a blast because you get to try some of the coolest beers from all over the country. Um, okay, with, I'm uh, jealous. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> they pay us money too, Dan. <laughs> all right stop stop you're killing me <laughs> they recently increased the money and i was just like wow thank you we would do this for free <laughs> they're great How do people I get on this <laughs> <laughs> you're a bjcp judge and you live in colorado i mean the, the magazine's based in northern colorado so <laughs> uh, see, there's there's, <laughs> you're, you're there's, a little far there's the away. kicker yeah just only a, few, a couple thousand kilometers <laughs> um so I, I've owned my own businesses for the last like 15 years, but um, with COVID, it's been slower. So I've been working a little bit at a local brewery since the summer, very part-time. Um, when people in the production team go on vacation, I fill in for them. I've also been doing a little bit of media work and uh, some barrel program planning with this brewery. Um, it's called New Image. It's out of Arvada. They're really, really good brewery, known for IPAs and then to a lesser extent, sours and uh, barrel beers. Um, so I've been seen a little bit of what the professional side looks like uh as well yeah it's it's a totally different world when you go into the into the pro side you go from you say your five or ten gallon system and you're walking in you're like that's 15 barrels right <laughs> you're like small learning curve but okay <laughs> and just seeing there all the procedures the quality control it's it's fantastic um it's fantastic just seeing that day to day when i'm there it's pretty nice yeah, so I work part-time, too, at a brewery close to where I live. It's, like, actually five minutes from where I live. Uh, it's called Stray Dog, and it's we've we've been open going on four years now, which is actually really cool. I was the first guy they hired, so it's, like, good for me. I took, um, a look at, I took a look at their website uh, recently when I was going through your podcast. Your beers are sold for an incredibly good price. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, that's one of the, that's one of the things – um the guys wanted to do because they were saying there there's no reason you can't make really good beer that people can't afford it's very very german i love that exactly i mean we have a brewery that's maybe 20 minutes from here and if they made say like uh one of the stouts that we're having right now uh they would for for a small like small coke can it would have been like 12 dollars And I'm like, mm, if I'm paying $12, I want a tall boy. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> that could be my ethnic side, but still, um, <laughs> it's all good. So um, let's let's dive into what we're supposed to be talking about, shall we? Absolutely. Okay, so um, we're going to be talking about big beers. So like I was telling you before, before we started, I am a sucker for a, dark, a good, dark, rich, creamy, frothy Delicious stout, um, but I'm I have an absolute weakness for a good bourbon barrel aged stout. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we're going to be planning this as your first kick at the cat, what are the some of the things that we actually should look at? Um, do you want to start with recipe, or do you just want to start with some general tips? Uh, we can start with general tips, then dive into a recipe. 
Sure. Um, I think some of the keys you really need when you're brewing a really, really big stout is you need temperature control. Um, when you're fermenting the beer, if you just put your beer in like a 66 degree room, the inside of like a 13% beer while it's fermenting can get, you know, 75, 78 mm -hmm. degrees Fahrenheit. And you're going to throw off all sorts of hot fusels and esters that you don't want. You want it to really have a clean base to that beer so you can taste a lot of the malts that you put into it. Um, so you need some kind of temperature control, some way of monitoring the internal temperature of your uh, beer. You could just put a temp probe on the side of your fermentation vessel that works perfectly fine. Um, you can tape little thermometers, the little strips like aquarium strips yep. to the side of your fermenter. Um, you can have those, uh, what are they called? They're almost like dip tubes in the outside of the fermenter that goes inside the beer that you can put a probe in. Oh, the, th the thermal, thermal well. Yeah, th yeah, exactly. So those are, those are fantastic as well. Um, but you need some way to control temperature, whether it's going to be a fridge or even a little, uh, a little heating pad around it or a, uh, a seed, a seed jacket, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you need a way for temperature control. That's first and foremost. Otherwise you're not going to really do a good job of replicating some of the better barrel aged beers in the market. Um, you have to be willing to spend money on yeast, especially, um, these are not mm -hmm. cheap beers, but you're going to need a huge pitch rate. You need the right amount of, uh, of yeast. I use Brewer's Friend Calculator. It's free online, but you can uh, plug in for high gravity ales. And you'll probably, the first time you're there, you might be shocked about how much yeast you really need for this, for a really big beer. Um, you could buy a brick of dry yeast, maybe through a local brewery if your homebrew shop isn't around or you can't find a good price. Um, or you just learn how to make a really, really big multi-step starter uh, of liquid yeast. But just be ready to pitch a lot of yeast in these beers, um, way more than you're used to. Um, Adjust your brew house efficiency, 50 to 60% efficiency on a huge beer is not uncommon at all. Um, you might be used to 70, 75% efficiency on regular mm -hmm. beers, but 50, 60 is not going to be out of the, out of the realm. So make sure on the recipe side, you're going to adjust for that. Um, don't sweat missing gravity. Um, you can use DME in these, especially same with space concerns. So if you're like, oh, I only have a mash ton that can make an 8% beer. Um, don't worry about that at all. Just put your specialty grains in there, put as much base malt as you can in there, and then make up for the rest of the base malt with DME. Um, DME is high quality and you're not going to be able to taste a difference at all in these kind of beers. Um, and maybe not in any kind of beer, to be honest, DME is just very high quality. Um, the limitations right. of DME are just the varieties that they sell, not the quality of what they do offer. Um, so you might not be able to find like pearl malt in DME, but um, for two row and, you know, things like that, just don't mm -hmm. be afraid to use DME at all, especially if you miss gravity um so, so used, oh go ahead no sorry so when you were talking about the pitch rate so if you're looking at say like a five gallon uh batch because it's usually what i do is because mm -hmm. that's all i'm able to do really mm -hmm. um and i use uh say um i'm using uh y yeast or um what's the other one uh white White labs, labs. Something like that liquid yeast so how many of those packs would i be needing would i need like two or three uh, a little more than that usually. So it's usually between, if it's dry, it used to be like between 40 and 50 grams, which is probably like four to five packets. So probably oh, wow. four to five liquid vials if you were just throwing liquid vials in. Oof. Yeah, okay. right. So I mean, that's like proper full pitch rate. Now, yeah, you could probably get away with three, um, but there's more of a chance if everything else isn't optimal, like oxygen and nutrients and temperature, there's more of a chance that something can go wrong and can stress the yeast and throw off flavors that you don't want. Um, okay. So I, I mean, in my mind, like an extra, what's an extra five or 10 bucks you're spending, you know, whatever, six, eight, 10 hours by the time you're done brewing and racking and bottling or kegging all this beer, mm -hmm. um, you want to get it right. And if you want to save money, just build huge starters. You don't need to uh, 
could buy one or two vials of yeast and just build up the starters if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm not that ambitious. <laughs> yeah, I use dry. I, our homebrew club uh, buys uh, big packs, the bricks of dry yeast through a local brewery, and then we nice. sell it out for uh, for cost. So we have a yeast library, and uh, dry yeast ends up costing like seventy percent cheaper than what you'd pay in the store. So oh, no awesome. problem pitching the full amount. <laughs> Yeah, so I know uh, the owner uh, or one of the founders of Escarpment Laboratories at in Guelph, Richard. Ontario. Richard, awesome yeah. guy. Great guy. And he, he's put out the offer if, I, if I'm if i coming up to doing any experiments to give him a shout and he might be able to help me out. So hopefully you're listening to this, Richard, because I'm going to be coming knocking on your door for some yeast. Yeah, they're, they're awesome too. Um, I just read recently that some uh, the U.S. has more access to their yeast now. One of the supply shops is shipping internationally, so I'm very excited to try more of uh, the yeast from Escarpment. Yeah, if you can get your hands on uh, their um, the one called Crispy, I use the one the generation before that, the Scara. Yeah, use I've Crispy. Used, mm-hmm. use Crispy. You'll you'll get floored how well it works. That's what I've heard. Um, James down in uh, Texas. I don't know if he's been on your podcast. He's been on Coulter's. Um, oh. Lake, Lake uh, Lake Fork. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I had, we've swapped stickers, so okay. I need to, I need to get a hold of him. So I thought you were talking about James Carlson from, uh, from Homebrew Happy Hour. And I'm like, I'm no, trying no. to get those. James I've been trying Virginia. to get those. I've been trying to get the guys from Homebrew Happy Hour on the show now for almost a couple months, and no, no joy. Uh, but yeah, James has used Crispy and loves it. Um, when we were doing the Kvike stuff for the Kvike article. Uh, James was doing some experiments for me to put in that article and uh, he just loved crispy. So I'm excited. He's supposed to send me some soon. So I'll get some from James, hopefully. There you go. So now that we've did a few tips, let's, let's talk recipe for this beast of a beer. Mm -hmm. So are we looking at uh, just like two row with a few specialties and oats, or are we looking just two row or, or mirror solder with specialty malt? and then let it do its thing? So I don't think there's really much of an advantage of using like Golden Promise or Maris Otter. Um, I know they're known as thicker base, base malts, but you're not gonna be able to tell the difference. Um, it's better just to use two row, plus things like Golden Promise and Maris Otter can kind of have fruity flavors as they age. And that's not, and an English barley wine, that's fantastic, but it's not really something you necessarily want in one of these big Imperial Stouts. So okay. usually just about 60% base is two row. Um, and that's going to sound a lot lower for most people because traditionally stouts are made with, you know, 80% base, 70% was your base malt, but the more modern, big, thick, luscious mouthfeel, 13, 14% stouts, they, they're basically like 60% two row. Um, and then 40, 40% is going to be specialty malt, um, including like oats and things like that. So Um, how big a grain bill are you looking at? You're looking at like like between 12 and 13 pounds of grain for 15 gallons or? For 15 gallons? Well, it'd be, it'd be way no, more. For ten, no, for five gallons. Or for five gallons. Um, you're, I mean, you're probably, gonna, you're, you'd have to put it in a calculator, but you're probably looking, uh, your total grain bill is probably going to be closer to 25 pounds. Oh. Something like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be pretty, pretty big. 20, 25 pounds in there, depending on you make like a 13, 14% stout. Um, so 60% of your base will be two row. And then you want to get into stuff like uh, flaked oats. Flaked oats, give yep. it that nice round mouthfeel. Uh, 10 to 15% of your your base might be flaked oats. Um, and then I like to layer on chocolate malts, um, mm-hmm. 10 or 15% different kinds of chocolate malts. You got straight chocolate malt, uh, chocolate rye, pale chocolate, chocolate wheat. Um, and then the carafa malts from Weyermann. Those malts actually 
tastes more like chocolate than some of the chocolate malts. So those are really good malts to add in there for more chocolate flavor. Uh, yeah, but those I like to add, are awesome. Yeah, they're they're great. So I like to add two or three of those types of chocolate malts in there just to kind of layer different chocolate flavors in there. Um, then a little bit of caramel malt, like uh, seven and a half to fifteen percent of your base can be caramel malt. Um, and I like to use a little bit of dark and a little bit of medium crystal malts. Um, the English producers, Crisp, uh, Thomas Fawcett's, and uh, Simpsons, those are all really good uh, English malsters that make great crystal malts. Um, so I usually look for those three. Baird's is good. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, you could use Brees or anything else. If it's not that big of a deal, but um, I really like the English producers when it comes to caramel malts. Um, and then finally, you probably add a little black pat and roasted barley. Um, maybe around 5% total, you don't need that much. Um, historically, a lot of Imperial Stouts had more roasted barley and more black patent, but it can get a little stringent. Um, it can produce more of that kind of acid bitterness, those malts. Um, so I like to actually add those at the end of the mash a lot of times. Uh, just at the very end of the mash, I'll put those malts in and it still gives you some of the flavor, but it's a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as astringent. So about 5% roasted barley and black patent combined, uh, roughly. It'll contribute some good flavor and color. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So, um, are you looking like for a like um, a coarse uh, crush or fine crush, or is it pretty much the brewer's choice of how how their crush is? I think just a regular choice that works good for your system. I know uh, when I brew with people that do brew in a bag, they use a finer crush. Um, I would use whatever crush is usually working best for your system. That should be okay. fine. Yeah. Okay. So now. In my case, I know my 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 robo brew, my five gallon or my my robo brew can't handle twenty five pounds of, of grain. I could probably get it close to like fifteen, probably mm-hmm. comfortably. Um, so that'll probably bring me out to maybe around maybe eight or nine percent for a beer. Now, when I'm doing that, I know I'm going to be adding. Uh, some like some vanilla bean and things like that. Um, would you recommend? Would you recommend using like a, a good quality bourbon to use to soak the beans in, and then add it as a tincture just to bump up the ABV to get it close to where it should be? Um, I would just start off first. I'd start off by just adding some DME in the boil to raise your your uh, ABV. So if you okay. want to make a twelve percent stout, like a base stout then I would focus on that because you could do it. I have a robo brew as well. And uh, you can absolutely do it. You just, you put in all your specialty grains and you put in maybe half of your base grain. And then mm-hmm. for that extra eight pounds, you can't get in there or so. You would just use DME in the boil to raise the gravity that way. It's the same as mashing with two row basically. Um, so then you get to your 12 or 13% that way. But if you're putting a vanilla bean in, I do like to soak. Um, I like, first I like to cut, I chop up the vanilla bean really finely, but then I like mm-hmm. to soak it in uh it doesn't have to be a high quality bourbon at all. I would, I would use a higher proof bourbon. Um, okay. Believe it or not, there are supposedly some things that can survive in 80 proof liquor, apparently. <laughs> I've heard this really? from, I've heard this from pro brewers that have had infections. They like to, uh, yeah, especially with coconut and vanilla beans, they like to mix huh. um, bourbon or vodka with Everclear. So it would get to closer to like uh, 60 or 70% alcohol by volume mm-hmm. instead of 40. Um, but just to soak it in there, just to sanitize it. And then you just throw the bean in there. Grain alcohol, right? Yeah, grain alcohol. Oof. But you're not going to have any flavor from the grain alcohol in the beer because you're not going to throw the, you wouldn't throw the tincture in. Tincture, tincture in. (laughs) 
Um, but if you want extra bourbon flavor in your beer, you can just put bourbon straight in there. And what I would do is look for bourbons that are good cocktail bourbons. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you're looking for a good straight bourbon, good straight bourbons are good for drinking alone. Um, but a good cocktail bourbon is used to mixing with other ingredients. And that's what you're doing when you're putting bourbon into a, a beer. So you just look for a quality cocktail bourbon, um, especially like a barrel strength one. Okay. With, when you put a beer into a used barrel, the whiskey that was in that barrel was barrel strength. It wasn't, uh, you know, consumer strength. So it was probably 100, 120 proof. Um, that's the that's the strength of whiskey they put in barrels. So if you look for a bottle of, uh, you know, even stuff like Jim Beam Overproof, things like that um, will go just fine in your beer. And you put something like, I don't know, four to 10 ounces, depending on how much bourbon you like in your beer, into a five-gallon batch. Um, just put it into the serving keg before you carbonate it and then transfer it into that serving keg. That's probably a good way to go. See, I'm I'm a bit of I guess in this aspect I'm a bit of a snob because uh, I was gonna go and get myself a bottle of Knob Creek. Oh, Knob Creek is great too. I mean, uh, my go-to cocktail bourbon usually is like uh, Four Roses, maybe uh, Rittenhouse okay. Rye, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be Buffalo Trace, but I can't find it anymore. Buffalo Trace used to be the cheap, uh, cheap, great cocktail bourbon, but now everyone buys it around here. <laughs> uh old overholt is good there's there's all sorts of ones um some of the maker's mark stuff is fine too i think yeah um, that, yeah maker's mark uh was the drink of choice when i was in scotland for a month uh the guys that were i was there with uh it was like they were go out to the local store come back and they have a bottle of makers and it'll be gone by morning and i'm like where are you guys and i'm like oh i'm like no wonder you feel like crap <laughs> <laughs> the 46 that they make is pretty good i've had that a few times oh right on um so uh i know we, we we're jumping around a little here a bit but that's okay um, that's fine no we're gonna, we're gonna go back to uh the recipe part of it uh mm -hmm. what would you use for your hops because i was thinking maybe uh, things thing like uh east kent uh maybe some fuggles so that's what I used to use a lot when I started brewing stouts. And uh, I think for lower ABV stouts, especially English stouts, those are like the perfect tops. And you could use Kent Goldings. I love Kent Goldings. You could use that in a big Imperial stout, but because the alpha acids are lower, it's kind of a waste, I think. You just mm -hmm. want clean clean bittering in these beers. So Magnum and Columbus are fine at 60 or 90 mm -hmm. minutes. Um, I've even heard brewers using stuff like Apollo or Warrior. But you just want something that's kind of fairly clean and high alpha acid. Because you don't want okay. the hops are just there for the bitterness, just to kind of help balance. Um, you don't really want so, any hop flavor. How high of an alpha acid are you looking for? Because I know, like, I've been given, like, uh, I've lost track of all the hops I've been given. Some of them are, are, are like, around 13 or 17% in the alpha acid. I mean, if you're at something 10% or more, I think that's a good value. I mean, again, if you have a pound of Kent Goldings you don't know what to do with, go ahead and use it. It just means you're going to have to use more hops to get to the same IBUs. Okay. Um, but I like Magnum because Magnum, Magnum is my choice because Magnum is super clean, bittering, and it's usually like 12, 14% alpha acid. So you don't have to use that much to get to your IBUs. And then uh, I usually target like 30 to 60 IBUs on these big stouts. I used to target a little bigger, but honestly, um, you don't really need it. You don't need that much bitterness to balance. A lot of those, you know, roasted barley has a lot of bitterness. If you add stuff like coffee into the beer, that's going to have bitterness. Chocolate malts have bitterness. So you have a lot of bitterness already. You don't need to get crazy. So mm -hmm. 30 to 60 IBUs, I think is plenty, even if you're going to age it a while, um, it'll, it'll provide enough balance. Would you use cocoa nibs? Cause I was thinking about getting some uh, cocoa nibs, toasting them to get that nice kind of like chocolatey brownie smell in the house and then smash them all up nice and fine. Almost not quite like a powder, but finer than what, excuse me, what they are. 
mm-hmm. and then putting it straight into and the last about 15 minutes of the boil. This is what I usually do for the stout, my, my oatmeal stout that I make, is that I'll do that. I have maybe, I don't know, but 200 grams that I'll toast out, mash it all up, and then put it in the last, inside of a mesh bag in the last like 10, 15 minutes of the boil. 200 grams, that's what, it's probably about a half pound or so. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I do about the same thing, but I usually don't put it in the boil. I usually do it in the secondary. So I'll do the same thing where I soak it in some kind of high alcohol concentrate. Um, but yeah, I put it in the oven like 350 degrees for five or 10 yeah. minutes or so. Um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Um, cocoa nibs work really well and it goes really well with the flavors of an imperial stout because especially with the recipe, I just kind of gave the guidelines. You're, get, you're just layering all these chocolate malt flavors and yeah. this luscious, you know, oats in this in the beer and it's just going to go really well with that so yeah i like cocoa nibs um i've used cocoa powder um mm-hmm. i've used chocolate and so on but i like the nibs a lot roasted nibs i think are really good um boil is probably great because it's easier to do uh you might get a little less flavor from the boil so you might want to put a little more in the boil maybe um but yeah, yeah that's what i found last time mm-hmm. but that with the style that i make is just i probably have to go up to like uh 300 grams mm-hmm. and just just the extra 100 grams would probably help it out a little bit and make sure you got enough chocolate malts in your stout recipe too i mean if you use if you use nibs without too many chocolate malts in the beer then the nibs are going to be more obvious because it's a totally different thing than a grain so make sure you have plenty of chocolate malt in the recipe and it might um you could even use the same amount of nibs and just up the chocolate malt a little bit and it might just bring it right where you want it okay so if I know, uh, if, but I know uh, we were talking before about uh, barrels and, and things like that. Now, if someone like me wants to try and make a barrel aged stout without the barrel, mm-hmm. I'm assuming we're going to have to use chips. So, Absolutely. so if I'm going to use chips, I'm assuming I would have to soak the chips in, say, bourbon or something else like that. Or would I just add them, uh, say, into when I'm into the keg or would they go into the fermenter i like to add them in the secondary um but if you really want to replicate a barrel you got to think about the the components of the barrel so inside the barrel is not just oak it's charred oak if you've ever seen um Mm -hmm. i think bourbon county uh goose island for bourbon county did like this really cool video series a few years ago where they show how the barrels are made and they torch the inside of those barrels so those inside of those barrels are completely black and toasted so first of all you, you want to char your oak so if you just start, straight, uh, start with straight oak, you want to take some kind of a torch and just kind of char it that way. You could use the oven. There's different temperatures that'll throw out different flavors, but I really like to char the oak. Um, and what I buy is, um, I'm not sure about Canada, but in the States, they sell these Jack Daniels smoking chips and they're made from uh, empty Jack Daniels barrels that are dried and they just just obliterate the barrel into these small chip, yeah. chips for smoking. You've seen them? Oh, I've been given two bags of Maker Mark <laughs> chips. Okay, so you take those, and because the whole barrel, it includes more of the non-charred aspects, so you want to mm-hmm. char those even some more in my mind. So you char those a little bit with a little torch, just a little torch from the hardware store is fine. Um, like, a, like a regular soldering torch? Or... Yeah, just a soldering torch. That's all I have is, you know, a little okay. soldering torch. It's very easy. So you just char those a little bit more, and then I put them in some water, and I boil them. I boil it for a little bit just to get rid of some of that astringency from the, uh, from the charring, because when you freshly char a barrel, it's going to have some astringency that you don't want in your yeah. beer. So I'll boil it for like 10 minutes in some water just to get rid of some of that nasty stuff. And then I'll soak it on some cocktail bourbon, some high strength cocktail bourbon. Um, soak it in at least a few days. Honestly, I just keep a jar full of soaked chips in my little uh, brewing area. So whenever oh, I need nice. chips, take it out of the mason jar and I have them available. 
But uh, yeah, soak them in and then throw them in. Your, you'll throw them in the secondary. So I'll put them on the bottom of the secondary in like a little bag, and then I'll rack onto them. Okay. Um, or beer could already be in the secondary, but you'd rack it from the secondary into a new vessel. Um, I don't put it in the keg just because if I put a stout in a keg, if I put it on draft, it's going to take a long time to drink. And if yeah. you're putting a lot of chips in, you can over extract. So when the chips are in there, you want to try it every like two or three weeks. And when it has the right amount of oak, you want to either transfer it off that oak or just bottle it. Um, mm -hmm. You want to get it out of that oak because otherwise you can't extract too much oak and then you have just way too much oak in your beer. Um, yeah, cause <clears throat> I was thinking about putting the uh, oak inside of a bag and tying it off with fishing line mm -hmm. and then dropping it inside the keg and letting it do it sing for, for a day or two, test it. And if it's at where we're at, relieve the pressure in the keg, take it out, and then purge it with CO2 and let it carbonate from there. You can do that. It'll probably take more than two days, usually, I'd say. Um, I think okay. It usually takes about a week or two, unless you put at least a ton of oak in. But I wouldn't recommend that because the, the curve between enough oak and too much oak is going to be too small. Um, so I would just put in the right amount of oak you think it's going to be and then try it after a week or two. And uh, once it's the right amount, then you can take it out. And as long as you're purging, that's perfectly fine. If you're using chips, how much uh, how much are you looking at? Uh, say like a five-gallon batch. Um, for a five-gallon batch, let's see. I've got some notes here, actually, that I should have that on. Let's see. And I do, I do like to measure before, um, mm -hmm. before I soak them. Because with the wet, when you measure wet, it's really uh, yeah. it's really difficult to get the right amount. Um, what do I got here? Should be somewhere here. That's okay. Oh, here so, you go. About a half half ounce to two ounces is what I usually do. Um, before oh, the podcast, okay. I look through some of my recipes, and that's where I'm at. But again, I, I can't stress enough: it, ha it should be to taste. So if you put yeah. one ounces or two ounces of chips in per five gallons, um, which is I think is a good starting point, try it after a week or two. If you're not getting nearly enough oak, go ahead, open it up, purge, put some more oak in, repeat. Um, it's it's all about to taste. All the professional brewers, whether it's adjuncts or uh, any kind, any kind of flavoring, they always do everything to taste. At least the the really good breweries. Okay, so I have a friend in Scotland who works at a cooperage, mm -hmm. and Stu, I hope you're listening because he's already told me he's got a couple of bourbon barrels waiting for me nice. when I for what for when I go back. <laughs> I'm like, can't you just send them? <laughs> I'm sure it's very cheap to send them. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, come on. Just send them over, man. I'll use them. But um, but one thing I have noticed online is, is that um, you can find uh, used barrels or you can buy a used barrel. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to buy a used barrel and you're going to try and make your own, do it like how you would see in a brewery, how do you go about making sure the barrel is good to go? So personally, at this point in my brewing career, because I've had so many barrel projects that have gone sour, um, you know, 20, 30% of the ones I was involved in years ago might have went sour. I like to talk to the distillery, find out when they're going to empty their barrel, and I'll have a beer waiting and ready. So the day they empty their barrel, I'll pick it up, bring it back to my house, and my beer is already fermented, and I'll just transfer it into the barrel. So that way there's not time where things can get inside the barrel that could, you know, infect my beer. Right. Um, and I usually search for like 10 to 15 gallon barrels, which can be a little tougher, but just like the beer industry, we're kind of in like this distillery renaissance where all these small distilleries are opening. And there's a lot of them that are making 10, 15, 20 gallon barrel beers to start, or uh, spirits to start. 
so there's all sorts of 10, 15, 20 gallon spirit barrels that you can find out there. Um, I'd recommend just Googling for all the distilleries around your area and just contacting them. Go in there, have a drink, buy a drink, and then talk to them, show them that you're willing to patronize their business, and then see if uh, they have any barrels that are, you know, available. Take tours. There's free tours usually. And you can, you know, sometimes the barrels are sitting back there. You can just ask them, hey, when are you emptying this barrel? Would you sell it to me? I'm a home brewer. Um, they're usually enthusiastic about that kind of thing. Um, so I've, I've found barrels that way many times. Yeah, so one of my part-time jobs, seeing as I'm retired and I get to do what I want now, um, <laughs> uh, I work part-time also for a beer tour company. And oh, one cool. of the things... Yeah. So uh, one of the things you do is you go around to, uh, we take people to uh, different breweries and all that. And we have stopped at a few craft distilleries and they, they do have a lot of, a lot of barrels, but it's always like the full size barrel. So, but we do have a guy who's local who does make um, casks um, and it's called, uh, I think it's yeah. Urban barrel. And I think you can get them where they're up to like a 10 or a 15 gallon cask. Wow, and and I think he does it either in maple or oak, and so it would be interesting to see what those actually do. Mm -hmm. So does he? Uh, he makes the casks, or he just he uh, gets the casks? Are they brand new? He makes he makes them, and they're brand new casks, then, huh? Brand new. You should find out if he chars them, because if he chars them, that'd be interesting as well. Um, yeah, you could do a lot of fun stuff with that. You could partner with a local distillery, and they could put a spirit in there first, and mm -hmm. then they could take it out, and you could put a beer in there. Um, if you have any home distillers in the area, maybe they would fill one up first. It's good to have See, the uh, <laughs> it's good to have the spirits yeah. in first, in my mind. Unfortunately, here in Canada, or at least here in Ontario, you cannot uh, make spirits at home. Okay, you're supposed to not make spirits yes. at home. It is the same uh, in the U.S. here. Same. Okay, because here it's you can't do it without a license because it's it's straight booze. Yeah, and things go boom. So I guess <laughs> <laughs> with electric yeah. brewing systems these days, there's no risk. It's kind of silly. Uh, a lot of these laws, I think, are outdated. Yeah, I've been tempted to go through uh, Kegland and a lot and get all the things yeah. to turn the robo brew into a still. It's, I've, I have several people in this area around me that have done it at a hobby level, and uh, the results are awesome. So it, it's silly that these laws exist. I think it's just New Zealand is the only place in the world I think you can fully legally distill on the home scale. I thought it was also in Australia too. Maybe it's Australia as well, but I know New Zealand for sure. Um, I think that's where Kegland is. Is it Australia or New Zealand? Australia. Okay, so it's probably Australia and New Zealand then. But yeah, the only two places you can distill legally, I think, in the world. It's it's uh, like on the other side down low. <laughs> yeah, but there's plenty of people in the U.S. doing it. I know that. I assume the same for Canada. So if you find any enthusiast home distillers. Um, fill up one of those 10 or 15 gallon barrels. And then when they empty it, throw a beer in there, it'd probably be fantastic. Have you ever gotten like a brand new cask or barrel where you've actually had to go in and chart or. I haven't. Um, oh, I did get a barrel. Um, it was actually charred. It was like a mini half gallon barrel. Like one of those barrels you could put cocktails in. I yeah. got, uh, yeah, I got one of those for Christmas like five years ago. So I put in some like homemade gin um, with that. And then after that, I threw some cider in and it was kind of this, gin barrel cider it was kind of fun um but yeah i've never uh, that's the only time i've had anything like that happen it would be challenging to deal with a brand new barrel without spirits on hand yeah I, i've been curious because i'd be concerned like if you're getting a brand new barrel and it hasn't 
and it's not hydrated and all that and things are like the i'm considering i'm thinking i should say is that the the slots would uh constrict yeah i had to buy i had to make some uh so when i filled that barrel up originally it was leaking and i had to make some kind of like flour and water like paste basically to fill in the cracks a little bit like barrel 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 glue or whatever they call it um so that'll happen but i just think if you get a brand new barrel and you put a beer in it it's gonna be way too oaky you're not gonna get any spirit flavor because there's no spirits in that barrel to begin with and you're just gonna Good get point. tons of oak so it'd be right. more for like wine or something you'd want it okay for, you know? if i'm gonna use chips and i'm gonna soak them in um in bourbon how long are you gonna soak you're gonna soak it for like a couple of days a week a month i think a couple of days minimum um after like a week or two it's probably not that big of a change over time but i'd say just at least a few days minimum but if you really want to replicate the bourbon barrel flavor, I think you probably have to add a little more whiskey after those chips as well. Because, I mean, those chips are going to soak up a certain amount of whiskey, but not nearly enough. You're probably going to need like four to 10 ounces of whiskey per five gallons to really get the same amount of whiskey flavor in a five-gallon batch of Imperial Stout that you get if you put it in a barrel, um, like a fresh barrel. Would you use the same whiskey you soak the chips in or you would you use fresh? I usually use fresh um, because once it's been soaking in wood, I like to just... The whisk, the, the whiskey that's in the wood is fine, but I don't like to pour in that other stuff. I mean, if you smell it, it's very oaky. Yeah. Um, so I like to just put in the oak because it's a little bit more predictable on how much oak is going to be in the beer then. Okay. Um, so be, But you could pour that in there as well. Just be aware that there might be some of the oak has been leached out into that whiskey. So you're going to get even more oak. So you just, you just have to keep that in mind uh, when you're balancing your oak. But that whiskey is perfectly fine. It tastes just fine. Okay. So what are the some what are some of the things that people should be extremely cautious slash aware or not do when they're doing I mean, obviously not drink the beer as you're making it, but uh but what are the some of the things are like the go and no goes that we should be aware of when we're doing things like this? Um, I mean I don't think there's anything super dangerous. Just remember alcohol near a flame is dangerous <laughs> you know um so you know my story then don't you <laughs> i almost blew i don't know your story up. actually no oh, tell me okay i won't tell you that i almost electrocuted myself there um <laughs> yeah sorry sorry also liquid near electricity is bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i was brewing one day and i had a boil over and i wasn't paying attention where the actual extension and the robo brew were connected and next thing you know the 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 um it the power bar tripped so where the surge protector is i'm like what the hell look down i'm like oh so where the male the female meet the female is like oh wow i guess there was flames because it was like all where everything went was all melted oh wow <laughs> i'm like mm, i won't tell my wife this because <laughs> then i'll be like no more hobby <laughs> yeah. wow yeah i mean I, I would call that a general safety concern so definitely don't do that but uh yeah exactly yeah, I mean, if your mash tun's heavy, just yeah, watch for boilovers. If you're starting really high, if you have something like a robo brew like we do, you might be, especially if you're doing a two, three, four hour boil, which you can do on these beers, um, you might be starting with the liquid very close to the top. So you can use one of those like silicone uh, mash retardant things. Um, what are those called? The uh, You throw them in the mash to get rid of the foam, the boilovers. Oh. They're oh, made oh. of silicone. I'm pulling the blank. No. So there's little things made of sil- food grade silicone that you can put five to 10 drops in uh, when your mash is, or when your boil is about to get to temperature. So you don't have a boil over. Uh, really? Yeah. Very handy. Uh, you refrigerate them when you store them, but they're pretty cheap. Every, 
every major brewing store will sell them um like more beer will have it i forget the name of it but uh huh. yeah firm cap is it firm cap Might be firm oh cap. it could be yeah. could be firm cap yeah it's, but it's made out of silicone anyways you can use that uh to prevent boilovers um on the technical side you don't want to introduce too much oxygen um a lot of people say oh these bears these beers are used to aging in barrels they'll have some oxygen in them from that and that's true but that's like micro oxygen over a very long period of time yeah. so definitely don't abandon your good oxygen transfer uh purging practices that you would have for normal beer uh treat this beer the same way you would a normal beer as far as oxygen goes and you'll be happy okay so this is not the type of beer you want to try and pressure ferment right um i have never pressure fermented a stout actually i pressure fermented many lagers but um I'm not sure what would happen with that. So when I pressure ferment, ah. I usually pressure ferment lagers, which don't require as much headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with these beers is you might need some, some sort of a blow off type situation with a lot of them. Okay. Um, but if you were making like a two and a half gallon batch and you wanted to pressure ferment it inside of a five gallon keg, I mean, I don't see a problem with it to be because honest. Because I've actually turned around my, my uh, oatmeal salt that I do mm-hmm. and it pressure fermented it within four days yeah so pressure fermenting generally suppresses esters and ferments a little quicker so i don't think it would be a problem with these beers it just minds your headspace is the main thing i would say yeah i usually because i use a firmzilla and it's a seven gallon fermenter and i usually have about a like between a gallon and a half two gallons of headspace Mm -hmm. and spending valve on it and and it's they're all preset to like no more than 10 psi Mm -hmm. so as soon as it gets there it releases the pressure right away which is what they're supposed to do so yeah, I wouldn't steer away from it. I've never heard of any problems with pressure from any higher alcohol. Um, so yeah, as long as you have the headspace, I think you'll be okay. Hmm. Yeah. I, I feel an experiment coming. There we go. Yeah, I, I can see your uh, mind working. I know that listeners can't see you, but I can see you right now. <laughs> it looks like you're, oh, dude, your mind trust is working. Me. <laughs> it's taken a lot to get these wheels spinning, trust me. <laughs> if you don't forget next week, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Fred. Honestly, I did not forget. I was just having an old guy moment. Um, so just so the listeners don't think I'm a complete twit. Um, I have done 21 years in the army. Uh, I've had a, quite a few rather close calls on some deployments. So my, one of my last deployments, I got rocked pretty good. So my head got scrambled. So Jeez. bear Where with you me at? if I, uh, I was in the sandbox out in Afghanistan. Wow. So I got scrambled a little bit. And so every now and then it's like, you ever see the movie Up? I don't think I have. So there's this movie called uh, Up. And it's a guy, uh, after he's, he's a balloon salesman. And uh, after a while, his wife passed away. He becomes a grumpy old man and he wants to get away. And this kid who's like a Cub Scout starts trying to sell him stuff or whatever else. And all of a sudden this dog appears out of nowhere named Doug. And he just starts talking to me. And it's like squirrel. That's kind of like me. <laughs> oh. So every now and then it's like squirrel. What? What? Uh, it's don't worry. It's just Dan. Don't, don't worry about it. It's, it's all good. It's <laughs> funny. I, I, if you can't laugh at yourself, what's the point, right? Yeah, I agree. Cheers to that. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are some of the key things that um, when you're doing these big beers are the absolute cardinal rule that we need to make sure we do? I mean, I know um, don't don't stress about it. Um, san- sanitation is always big. 
um, make sure if you're going to do it in a barrel, make sure it's charred, make sure you've, you, you've put water through it to clean, give it a bit of a cleaning, I, w- I would assume, to get rid of some of the, the stringent, the stringency. If it's, a, if it's a new barrel, you don't need to, but if you're using chips, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And then make sure you're using the right amount of yeast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeast nutrients can be helpful as well. Um, a little DAP, dimonium phosphate can work well. Um, oxygen is basically essential on these big beers. Mm-hmm. So when you're pitching the beer, you want to hit it with some oxygen. And I just get an, I got an oxygen wand years ago from like Williams Brewing and uh, just a cheap oxygen tank from the hardware store. You'll read stuff online about how you need certain medical grade oxygen, but that's totally not true at all. Um, any sort of oxygen, welding oxygen, well, oxygen works just fine. Just get some oxygen from the hardware store, plug it into your oxygen wand and hit it for 30 or 60 seconds before you pitch. If it's a really big beer, you can hit it again after like 16 hours or so, just before the yeast multiplies, um, just to give it an extra boost of oxygen for that yeast to, to uh, take, kind of energizes them. So you definitely want some oxygen. Um, I think patience is key. I've seen people do everything right, but they made a beer and then three weeks later it was done fermenting. They put oak in it for another week and then they bottled it. And then you drink it after five weeks, force carbonated and it's good, but it's a fresh stout that tastes like it's been aged in a bourbon barrel. When professional breweries put stouts in a bourbon barrel, they put it in there for five months, for 10 months, for 20 months. Mm -hmm. So that base stout is not going to taste as fresh as a one month old stout. So honestly, I brew stouts they're done fermenting in three weeks. Maybe I rack them off after four weeks. I'll let them sit in the fermenter in a secondary vessel for like three, four five months. And then I'll put oak on them and then I'll put vanilla beans on them, whatever I want to do to them and whiskey and so on. So that way when I'm drinking it, the stout's at least six months old and it tastes a lot more like that matured complex stout base. It doesn't have that raw hoppy flavor that like a one month right. old stout's going to probably have. So just patience. Um, don't be in a hurry. Have a plan when you, if you're going to get a barrel from a local brewery, you can't just call one brewery and expect to get expect them to say we're emptying a barrel next month. It's 15 gallons. We'll sell it to you for a hundred dollars. You know, you got to call around. You got to figure out when they're emptying their barrels. You brew a, a beer a month before they empty their barrel. So you can fill up that barrel the day you get it. Um, it requires a little bit of planning, but it's definitely worth it in the end when, when you sip on one of these or you give one to your friends and they look at you and they say, damn, this is good. You know, should you be concerned with anything funky getting into your beer? If you're using a, uh, a normal barrel like are you, if, should you be concerned if if the barrel was just empty that day absolutely not the longer the barrel sits the bigger the risk is um like i said i only use barrels that were freshly emptied now because i've had so many issues in different club projects but if you get a barrel and it's been sitting for a week or two or three weeks as long as the barrel is still wet and as long as you kept it sealed the whole time i think you'll be okay if you're going to use an older barrel sometimes people We'll put different stuff in there, like some acid strippers. I think citric acid kind of stuff to like strip out um, or to, to kill the, any wild yeast, but it strips out a lot of the flavor. So I wouldn't really mess around with that unless you were doing like a sour beer and you wanted specific right. bugs in there. Um, I would just try to find as fresh of a barrel as you can and then just put your beer in there as quickly as possible. Um, and you shouldn't have to worry too much in that case. What do you do with the barrel when you're done though? Um, so if I get a fresh barrel and I put, say I get a fresh 15, 10, 15 gallon barrel, it's going to take like five to eight months for that stout to really extract enough of that wood, oak, and bourbon flavor for it to be ready. I'll take the stout out and I'll have another beer brewed that's slightly lesser alcohol. Maybe I'll go from a 14% stout to like a 10% barley wine. So the barley wine will get the second uh, second use. And it'll, it'll still collect some oak and a little bit of bourbon. 
And then I'll do the same thing five, six months later. And I'll take like a seven and a half percent porter. And I'll put that porter in there and it'll be the third use. And it'll get almost no bourbon, but it'll get a little bit of oak. And the oak will be fun, especially like a rye porter with oak. It tastes really okay. nice. Um, so you can use these three, four or five times. And then you can cut it in half, use it as a, two planters. You can uh, cut a hole in the side and kind of make a piece of furniture out of it. Um, you can take the staves out and you can, uh, you can use them as sort of like a tap list. So if you take the stave out oh, and yeah. yeah, I've seen breweries that do that. Their tap list is literally just stave, uh, a stave horizontally and it tells you the beer that's there. So you can make all, you could do all sorts of fun little wood projects, especially uh, if you're handy with a, uh, if you're handy with tools. Okay, combat arms guy. We break things. We don't build things. <laughs> Find a friend that's good with wood, uh, wood tools in a wood shop. <laughs> All right. So if uh, Al Gertan is listening, I'm going to be coming talking to Mimi soon. So put her on on notice that I'm, I'm probably going to be coming talking to her about some stuff soon. So <laughs> we got a close knit homebrew community here and one of the one of the guys that uh, i'm friends with his wife has gotten into woodworking and nice. she's turned out some amazing pieces so i might have to uh go bug her for some stuff there you go you trade some beer for some woodwork and uh, everyone's happy absolutely so i think we've pretty much covered it all ryan oh yeah absolutely i have a couple of resources i probably like to give people as well in case they want to learn a little bit more about this stuff go for it cool. um the, one of the biggest influences, I'd say, is the Beer and Brewing website. Their premium section has uh, one of my favorite stout makers is Corey King from Side Project. Um, they make some of the best barrel-aged stouts in the world, in my opinion. And he did a massive like hour-plus breakdown of how they make their stouts. Um, so that's in their premium video section at beerandbrewing.com, and I think it's totally worthwhile. There's a ton of other videos um, for all types of beers that are, are worthwhile, but that one sticks out to me. Um, Gordon Strong's books, especially his second book. Uh, it's a really great format. A lot of big beers in that book, all types of big beers. And he not only lists the recipe, but he lists like different variations you can do on each recipe. So it's not just a single recipe. He might say, hey, you could cut back on the crystal malt and make it more dry like this, or you can ramp it up with this. Um, so he, he gives a lot of different options with, with each recipe, which is really cool. Uh, the AHA website, um, the metal winners from homebrewers and the commercial clones for some of the big beers. Those are good recipes that you can uh, really follow to make some good beers. BYO has some, a couple particular good, uh, particularly good big stouts, Bourbon County from Goose Island and uh, Three Floyd's Dark Lord. Those recipes are in BYO and those are reliable recipes that mimic the uh, commercial varieties well. Um, you can also email breweries. Many won't mm -hmm. answer, but if you keep your questions to, you know, just a few lines, I know if you email a brewery, you probably want to ask them 12 paragraphs. I've been there. Oh, no, no, no. But they're not going to, they're not going to answer. <laughs> so yeah. just think about a person that works 60 to 80 hours a week or works 40 hours a week, but has three kids or something like that. If you ask them two lines of questions, they might respond. Um, but if you, if you ask them a thousand words, they're just going to groan and click on the next email. <laughs> The bonuses of working in a brewery. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, the breweries you patronize, talk to the people that make the beer there. They'll give you tips. Like almost every brewery, they have a couple handful of secrets, but for the most part, they have really solid practices that they're willing to share with almost everybody. Um, the brewing industry is very collaborative. So don't be afraid to ask people um, at all. And then Coulter's podcast. I've got a few podcasts I yeah. did on big beers with Coulter, the home brewing DIY podcast. Um, and there was a, there was also finally, there was a 
article in Zymergy a couple months ago about making 20% beers, um, which I have some experience in making 20% alcohol beers, but they used a lot of enzymes in the mash, um, which I don't have experience with. So that article is really interesting. It went through the different types of enzymes you can use in the mash and, and, the firm, uh, and in fermentation and what those enzymes do. So that's an article in the Zymergy. It's probably the fall of fall or early winter of 2020. Um, that, that's probably okay. worth looking at as a resource as well. I would never have thought of enzymes. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, a couple local breweries I know in the last few years have used enzymes um, just to aid in uh, the yeast eating more of the mash, eating more available sugars. Um, so it helps them get a higher alcohol more easily. Okay, right on. Yeah. So I don't know if you have this brewery or if you can get this brewery's beer down in uh, the States, but we have one here called Collective Arts. And they have a series called The Origins of Darkness. Honestly, this is some of the best barrel-aged beer I've had in a long time. And they do a lot of collaborative stuff down through the States and in Europe. So don't go anywhere. We'll, We'll talk a little bit offline. I might be able to hook you up with something. That'd be excellent. All right. So, guys, I'd like to say thank you to Ryan for being on the show this week. Absolutely fantastic guy. And honestly... This is the guy I needed to talk to, uh, to, to get my, to get my v- vanilla bourbon stout more than planned now, because I've got the greens and things like that. Now it's actually just fine tuning everything. So Ryan, again, thanks a lot for being on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, we can get you back on the show again, uh, on another topic, if you're up for it. Absolutely, Dan, this was a great time. I had a, I had a blast. So I'll try to come up with something worthwhile for your listeners and uh, I'll come back on at some point. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So thanks a lot, Ryan. I appreciate it guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in and a beer or two along the way. And one more time around the sun. I'm Dan and I'll see you on the other side. I'd like to say thank you to Ryan for being on the show this week. Had a great time and learned a lot about doing big beers. So if you're a chance Check out Ryan's uh, upcoming articles in Zimmergy and a few other little things that he's mentioned along the way out in the podcast. Check them out. Also, he's left a lot of good places to go and research if you're looking at doing these big, big beers. So, Ryan, thanks a lot for being on the show. Guys, thanks a lot for tuning in. If you get a chance, leave me a review. Leave me a comment get in touch, send me questions. I'm more than happy to do what what I can to get your answers. If I can answer them, if I can't, I'll find it for you. Again, thanks a lot for coming along for the ride and a beer or two along the way, and I'll see you on the other side.